What's up, legends? Welcome back to another episode of Zonia with Zach. Apologies on last week, a few uh, technical difficulties due to changing um, changing formats. Unfortunately, Wooshka's been uh, shifted over to Spotify, so had to find a new um, new uploading party, but all being sorted, so thanks for your patience. But in terms of today's episode, wow, absolutely unbelievable. Um, I was lucky enough to sit down with Dr. Alan Pierce. He's got a PhD in neurophysiology. Happy I said that right. I hope I did anyway, but um, super smart guy, works in the field of concussion, works with, you know, AFL, NRL um, players in their elite sports, even local level sports and uh, everyone really. And yeah, he's been on the news a couple of times, really driving the message about concussion and the studies behind it. And just a crazy chat, like the things we unpack. Um, I learned so much from him and I think everyone will learn heaps as well. It's definitely not a not a joking matter concussion. It's a it's a brain injury and he really breaks down the importance of it, long term effects, um, what we should be teaching kids in school, contact through certain ages and, you know, it's just a really eye opening chat, like even the experience of some AFL players in elite sport about the things they've been through and what that looks like for them long term. So yeah, I hope you guys take a lot out of it. If you do, please take a screenshot, tag me, tag Alan, um, tag the institute that he works at. And yeah, let's start really driving the message and um, I'll have his donation box in there as well. They need some further uh, further funding for studies and stuff like that. So all that would be in the show notes if you guys are interested in contributing to that, which would be massive. So enjoy the chat. Dr. Alan Fears, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited, mate. Uh, as I said off air, I've walked in and it looks awesome. Like it's a super important topic. I don't think people talk about it enough as we talked about my mate in local level football. But I guess for the listeners and just to start, um, let's dive into a little bit about what you do on a day-to-day. Well, I've been doing this on a day-to-day as in, I guess, researching concussion, understanding concussion, understanding CTE, which is chronic traumatic encephalopathy, probably for the last 15 years now. So on a day-to-day basis, this is my life. So people will come in for assessments. Um, I'll have people coming in for research projects. Uh, I'll be doing um, analysis of data to try and understand what's going on and then collaborating with people around the world as well. So yeah, Yeah, every day, 24-7, I think about this. Yeah, nice. And I guess this is a little bit of a personal one, but why why concussion? Like it's obviously a, a... pretty narrow field I guess but how come like so for you like concussion is the way to go well I guess I've been involved in neuroscience for 25 years now Um, I first started getting into this area in the mid 1990s um, and I was born in Perth I grew up in Perth I did all my studies in Perth and when I started my PhD in Perth uh, I was sort of under the mentorship of a postdoctoral fellow Her name is Michelle Burns and uh, a super smart woman, got two PhDs, one in neuropsychology and one in neurophysiology. But when I first met her, she was doing her postdoc, which is a first job outside, out of PhD school. Um, And she was looking at um, stroke and what happened to people post-stroke. So at that point in time, there was no such thing as neurophysiotherapy, hadn't started as a discipline. So, but we were trying to understand what, how the brain changed after a stroke. And essentially, you know, what was happening was that people were coming in 24 hours after a stroke and she was uh, measuring them right through to about 18 months after. And at that point in time, we had no idea what we were doing. 
Um, it was so new, we just didn't know. And we we're using a, a really quite a new technique, which I use in my concussion research now. And essentially what she found was that people that did something, if they tried anything, the brain would change. And that's now what we know as neuroplasticity. But mm. at that point in time, we, can't, we couldn't use that word. It was just reorganization of the brain. So that started me off really interested in brain injury. Yeah. And so when I finished my PhD, I wanted to do something in brain injury, but it was very territorial, very difficult. I moved to Melbourne. It still took me another probably seven or eight years before I actually got into the area, which was basically trying to understand how people recovered after a moderate or severe brain injury. Again, didn't work too well. I was, I was trying to do some collaborations with Epworth, um, and John Oliver there was the, the uh, head of the, the department, and great guy, really, you know, wanting to do something, but the research just wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. So come 2000, oh, a couple of years later, um, I went to a new university, um, and one of the PhD students at that university played football and said, well, have you thought about concussion? I said, yeah, absolutely. I'd been hearing initial reports of this at that point in time, this strange disease called CTE. And I said, yeah, I'd like to, but I don't know how to get into it. You know? yeah. And, and uh, he said, well, I'll introduce you to a, a player manager. And the player manager uh, had lunch with this guy. He you know, was really keen. He said, I've got a whole bunch of older footballers who are mm. struggling yeah. um, and, uh, you know, either with mental health issues or uh, cognitive impairments or even some with movement disorders and epilepsy. And I'm like, shit, okay. Yeah, um, so, you know, I started to get into that area um, and, and I guess I didn't really realise how big an area it was going to become. I knew it was mm. going to be important but had no indication that it would become what it is now um, until about a, you know sort of six months into doing the research uh, channel seven decided to knock on the door and say look we're hearing you're doing some concussion research yeah we'd like to do a, a story and I'm like mm, nah I don't, don't want to really want to do that yet not really uh, not really ready to talk about anything just yet I've only just tested a few players and I'm you, starting yeah. to try and they said well we've got you know, we've got two players, XAFL, or one XAFL, one's XNRL, that want to come out and talk about their issues. It's crazy like, now how yeah, like, what it is. Yeah, that's right. And so back then, and that was Greg Williams. Mm, wow. And uh, I went, oh, okay, no worries. And there was another guy called Greg Valentine who played up in Queensland. And uh, we did the program um, and had no indication of how big this would become because that week after it aired uh it was it, it aired on sunday night i'd been program yeah 15 minutes in the program i started getting phone calls from radio television wow newspapers Blew up. we had yeah absolutely complete meltdown the, the media officer at deacon said i can't cope with this yeah um and it it just it just started the ball rolling from there and i haven't stopped since yeah <laughs> it's crazy like and that was one of the things i was going to run by because yeah obviously you don't apply to get into concussion like it's kind of something yeah. you have to build like you have but how come now do you think it's become such a, a focal point especially old older players now as you yeah. said like Greg Williams obviously I'm not an RL fan but even I know that name like it's, it's pretty yes. big but how come do you think now it's become such a big thing even in elite sports like the AFL and NRL as well um well because it poses an existential crisis for these sports 
So, and it's not just about concussion. I think one of the, the big misinterpretations of this is that it's, a con- it's the issue around concussion injuries, but it's actually an issue around repetitive trauma. So we've known since 1928, probably even earlier than that, that if you get hit to the head repeatedly, you'll get pathological disease mm. in the brain. Um, but we thought it was only in boxing. And it wasn't until 2005 wow. that Bennett Omalu first presented the presented the first, I guess, big case outside of boxing. And obviously, we know that now from the movie Concussion um, that this is a bigger thing than just boxing. And yep. so, what happened after that was that all the sports started to realise that if you start to get repeated hits to the head, um, you know this increases your risk of, of brain disease. Um, but at the same time, the media, I guess, also misinterpreted the issue in the fact that, oh, you know, you show vision of someone, it's always the big hit. So mm. everyone equates this as an, as an issue around concussion. And yes, there is an issue around you know, concussion. We don't send them back on after a concussion like we used to in the 1980s, <laughs> 1990s, early 2000s. <laughs> yeah. But we, we're seeing a lot of people, uh, I guess, older guys older players uh, present with cognitive impairments, mood disorders, movement disorders, but we're also seeing um, a lot of younger men struggling with mental health. Um, and, uh, you know, and it's, you know, I guess really sad that we have seen a number of players take their own lives and yeah. then post-mortem found that they had brain disease. Yeah. So, you know, this is why it's becoming such a big issue because there are such potential serious consequences as a result of, of this. So yeah. it sounds horrible, and I'm certainly not anti-contact sport, but uh, are the sports that we love uh, killing us? Yeah, well, it's, it's super interesting because obviously the NF, uh, NFL just released their helmets with their extra padding on the inside <laughs> now. Obviously, yeah. I knew you were going to laugh at that, but yeah. when you talk about contact and we talk about these elite sports, do you think every player should be wearing some kind of helmet or head protection? Even like some AFL players do it now, local league the juniors are obviously wearing have to wear helmets is it something you recommend for elite level sports that there should be like mandatory that they have this head protection no yeah <laughs> i wasn't it's, expecting that it's one of the one of the biggest myths around really wow that helmets protect the brain yeah the helmets protect the skull they help they, they protect the skull from fractures lacerations um you know i recycle um, so more like a, taking the pressure off rather than it. Well, it, it protects my, my scalp. So if yep. I come off the bike, you know, I'm, I'm a mammal. So I, if I come off the bike, I know the helmet's going to protect my skull from a fracture. But I also do know that I could be concussed. Most people think that helmets stop the brain from moving. Mm. And you, base, you only have to look at basic anatomy to say that, no, this does not happen because the brain still moves inside the skull. Yeah. Um, and, the, and the helmet's don't dissipate enough force to stop the the brain tissue from mm. moving. So sounds a bit bizarre, but if I opened your head and I pulled out your brain, and you wouldn't know because you have no pain receptors in the brain, so I can go in there and mash up your brain if you want, yeah, <laughs> and well. you wouldn't know. Um, and that's what lobotomies were, basically. Yeah. Um, but if I took out your brain in situ, I could squeeze the tissue through my fingers. That's wow. how delicate our brain tissue are, is. That's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we think the brain is when we do, you know, old, you know high school biology, you mm. know, and you do a, a brain dissection of a, a sheep or something like that. That's a fixed brain. Uh, an un, unfixed brain is really quite delicate. It's it's like you know um, chunky custard. 
Mm. And so when you think about being hit, the brain will still move. Now, um, some people over-exaggerate that the brain crashes against the skull, and it's not necessarily that way. But we do know that the brain tissue will actually stretch and shear. And your brain has sort of two... If you look at a brain, you you can see this outer area, which is like the grey matter, and you have the inner area, which is the white matter. The white matter helps transmit um, impulses from different regions of the grey matter. Mm. They have different densities. So we know that if you are hit, the brain will actually move at different speeds as well. And that puts more uh, stretching and shearing strain on these on these neurons, which then creates uh, impairment and if not, uh, if not um, micro damage. Yeah, and so wow. helmets have no, no protection at all. Yeah. Um, and we see this from time and time again. I mean, you know, Paddy McCartan used to wear a helmet. Yeah. He doesn't wear a helmet doesn't now. Wear one now. Yeah. That's good. Well, at least when I go back to four next year, I can tell my mum I've been told by. Yeah. <laughs> it's, we've known for decades yeah. that it can't. It, it, that's crazy. I really thought yes. it would be like, no. yeah, the number one kind of thing. No, yeah. no, no. That's right. I mean, uh, it, it, people still think that helmets protect the brain, and that's yep. the thing. Yeah. We yep. need to change that. Yeah. Crazy. So. When you do speak to the, the AFL clubs now, and I guess like we'll move on to more of a scan thing after this. Is a kind of question? Do you think they need to change the way they go about it in more head protection, or the AFL or NRL needs to be better? Obviously, we just had the Paddy Cripps happen yesterday. Very good timing where he's yeah. obviously come off the ground. Yeah. Is it a way of educating players to one protect themselves, or the other player having a duty of care for the other players on the field? Well, I guess there is a little bit of that, but if you play a contact sport. <clears throat> You, you should expect um, uh, concussions and you know trauma to the head. Now that doesn't mean that we you know players sign up for it. Yeah. I think players need to be given the full um, risks when they're drafted because I think a lot of players still don't know that they you know whether they are signing up for it or not. And that's the reason why there's a, a big class action in the UK happening right now with rugby players because yeah. there's a number of rugby players rugby union players who have been diagnosed with dementia at 40 years of age and who said we never signed up for that we signed up for broken bones torn muscles Muscles, whatever but we never thought dementia was part of it okay so put that aside any contact sport you're going to get you can't prevent it yeah what we need to do is we need to have better management and return to play strategies so if Mm. someone is uh, suspected with concussion let's take them off anyway you know, because we know that concussion is a evolving injury. You might not show symptoms straight away, you, but you could show symptoms 10 minutes later, one hour later, next day. And so we can't rush players back on. Same thing as the 12-day stand-down rule in AFL and 11 days in NRL, both apparently based on the same science, but they've come up with different numbers, but that's another story. Yeah. Um, they... <sighs> It's a good start, but it's not long enough. I was going to say, why? Yeah. Why is it that time frame? Why is one twelve days? Well, that's a, that's a really good question because who's like no one's ever yeah. given. Ne- they've never presented the the you know the the working group who say that they've cited evidence to come to this number, which apparently is the same evidence that the NRL committee came to, but had a different number. Hmm. No, no one's ever produced that. Interestingly, I published a paper in Sports Medicine Journal, um, which is like number two or three in the world, last year, where we looked at return to play timelines from 2017 to 2020. Mm. 
And the reason why we did that was because in 2020, if you remember, they brought in they brought in a, a rule that medical doctors had to sign off five days prior to playing playing um, the next match. Yeah. And so from 2017 to 2019, a doctor could sign you, Zach, back on the day before. Mm. And what the AFL wanted to do was like, oh, no, no, we've got to make sure that players take longer. So, you know, a, a, a doctor's going to have to sign you off for, uh, five days prior. Hopefully that'll, that'll make them miss a week. Yeah. But what we found was that it actually reduced the time to return to play. So in 2017, 2018, 2019 the time between concussion and return to play actually increased from about 11 days up to about 19 days from 2017-2019. In 2020, when it was meant to make it longer, it took it back to 11.5 days. Yeah, wow. Is it coincidence that they've picked 12 days? (laughs) I'll I'll let people have a think about that. That's it. And I guess when it comes to the concussion tests and stuff, do you actually know what's involved in that? I'm more of a yep. I'm a big AFL fan, so sure. obviously I know it quite well. It's it's 20 minutes, and yep. they go through the vision. But what's actually involved in that 20 minute yep. testing? So they basically do uh, what they call a sports concussion assessment tool, version five, or SCAT five. Uh, it's <clears throat> various. Uh, basically, what they'd have is uh, an initial symptom um, assessment. So. Uh, player, if a suspected, will come off. Um, if they're saying that they've got symptoms, um, then they'll go in for a, a fuller um, assessment. If the doctor says, if the player says, oh, I'm okay, I'm okay, but then they're, they're obviously not looking right, the doctor mm-hmm. then will make a decision and go, okay, yeah, we're going to bring you into the rooms. Mm-hmm. And so when they do a fuller test, it goes through a range of things. So they do a 10-word memory test. They do a um, what they call a digit backward scan. So I give you numbers, you've got to rep- repeat them back in the opposite order. That's hard at the best of times. <laughs> yeah, well, it's big. we'll talk about that in a moment. They do a, 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 a tandem gait walk on a, on a, um, a strip, um, heel-toe. They do a single leg stance. They do uh, a, um, a delayed recall as well. So they run through a number of things. Mm. Is the it scat- Well... From my perspective, no. Yeah. Um, it's it's quite subjective in nature, and one of the things too, again, that you know the media have have sort of misinterpreted that people will either pass or fail the SCAT test, and that's actually um, again another myth. You can't pass or fail the test. It's about the doctor making a clinical assessment. Mm. So you you could you could go through the tests with flying colours, and the doctor will say, Zach, no, I'm not going to let you back on because mm. you're still showing what I think some sort of science. Whereas in other times, um, and this is where, you know, the Paddy McCartan controversy earlier this year where he didn't do so well in the SCAT test and then the doctors sort of changed it, reversed their decision said, oh, well, he was really nervous. So he didn't do it. He was really yeah. anxious about um, the fact that he might have been concussed and it brought back a whole bunch of memories. So then they said, no, he wasn't concussed. But then the next day they said, oh, yeah, he was concussed. Yeah. <laughs> so you can see the whole subjective nature around yeah, this. And, exactly. you know, many a time um, I've had, um, you know, play... I've had, I've heard, you know, I've heard other doctors sort of talk about the fact, oh, look, you know, yeah, I know that, you know, John's not so good at this test, so I've, I've kind of let him through. Um, other times... Uh, I've heard players say, you're not going to use the SCAT test, are you? I can tell you everybody word in the test. Mm. And they reel off every th- all 30 words. And yeah. you're like, wow. Yeah. You know? And then we've had, um, you know, Paddy and also I think Cade Kolonadzic, I can never say his surname, but anyway, <laughs> you know, talk about sandbagging. 
yeah. and that's a that's a well known um, secret is that you sand you can sandbag these tests mm. where you if you wrote learn everything you can purposely underperform and you underperform in your baseline which means that if you are concussed it doesn't look so bad okay so there yeah. are ways of trying to get around that trying so what we want to do it, is yeah. have objective biomarkers that you can't fake and that changes the game completely mm. yeah absolutely and when you talk about players like Paddy McCartan and obviously you know long line of concussion and Liam Picken had to retire because of it <clears throat> is there a certain amount of concussions where it comes to a point that says like hey we need to protect this bloke like we can't you, you can't play this sport anymore you have to retire like is there a certain amount of times or damage that has been done where you just say like that's it we can't yeah. medically clear you to play elite sport anymore or it's any sport. individual it's yeah. very individual so you know um it really depends on how that player is recovering um and how long it's taking them to recover as well um it's it's a very difficult decision to make because you know someone like patty for example probably would have been told not to return to play but yeah. he's you know, he's, he's done well um, yeah. and he wants to play. And, uh, you know, whereas someone like Liam, yeah, has has taken that advice on board. Mm. Um, and, I've, you know, I've heard other stories where play, players have been told, you know, look, you can probably go back and play. And they've made the decision, no, I'm no, going to do it again. Feel right. So it's yeah. very individual. Um, and the, But there is no, there's no threshold on how many concussions you should be able to tolerate. Um, there's no threshold on how light or how heavy the hit will be mm. on whether you should retire or not or you know um, or even yeah so it's it's a it's it is a very um, individual yeah. decision do you yeah. fear for these those players like long term oh absolutely yeah yeah um, we, you know this this is the thing when what we've seen with the I guess in in terms of, of the majority of, of people particularly with CTE is that during their 30s and 40s what we find is that there's a, what we call a period of dormancy so mm. you know for all intents and purposes you wouldn't know there's anything happening yeah but then in their 50s or even you know mid late 40s things just start to go wrong mm. and we kind of think we don't really know obviously because we still need to do a lot of the, the science there must be a threshold where the the brain tissue is starting to degenerate to a point where the brain cannot compensate anymore. Mm. So you do start to see the impairment start to come through because other parts of the brain can't compensate. You start to see changes in mood because, again, the brain is not able to compensate. It's almost like, I guess, in terms of, of um, musculoskeletal yeah. you know, system. Um, people are fine until osteoporosis starts to set in yeah. because the, bo- the bones are not able to to regenerate (laughs) so not that brain tissue regenerates per se but the similar principle that at some point we start to see the the disease come in yeah wow and one thing that that stuck me with that is it's an interesting question like when you said some people are delayed response to the symptoms (coughs) and stuff like that and um like is it when you talk about delayed response and like immediate symptoms kind of like people with days and they go straight off the ground you're like he's not coming back we know he's concussed is it is it because of the impact of the hit is harder than others, or how come some people have that like a delayed response where it might come, you know, one or two days even after, or you know, to that immediate um, impact? Yeah, so we we know physiologically that when you do get concussed, things are happening. 
from that point on. And then, yeah. so when I give presentations, I, I talk a little bit about the, the misnomer around delayed concussion. It's just the fact that symptoms don't appear. Now, symptoms, again, can be really subjective. Mm. So someone can be hiding them. A lot of people hide them. <laughs> um, but at other times, some people may not even be aware as well. Um, and so it's very difficult when you are relying on, on I guess, self-report mm. that <clears throat> people are, are starting to, to show signs and symptoms because they could be having a headache at that time, but it's yeah. not really bad until it gets to the point where it's like, oh, no, this is too much to tolerate anymore and it starts to get... Um, or they might be able to maintain some balance until the point where they just start to get really dizzy and nauseous. Yeah. We, we don't know, yeah. but we do know from the science that when you do get a hit, changes are occurring um, with molecular releases, neurotransmitter releases, um, changes in blood flow to the brain. Mm. <clears throat> the The brain cells start to work anaerobically. Um, so they start to, to try and again, trying to compensate for that. <clears throat> so there's all these things happening. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, I'm trying to say let's let's err on the side of caution if you're suspecting someone's had you know a concussion or a big hit we've got to bring them off yeah. you know you can't just keep saying yeah yeah you know <clears throat> we're quite happy for to rest players if they have hamstring awareness <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean it's not even hamstring it's a good point strain yeah. or yeah it's yeah, just tightness tightness you know yep. it's um, but for some reason, because we can't see the brain, it's a hidden injury. We say, yeah, yeah, come on, Zach, you're okay. You can yeah. back on. So you're saying now, like, you think if players get that immediate hit, it should be straight away subbed out, no concussion test? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I would err on the side of caution. I've said to a lot of players, you know, if, you could, if, if you're just a bit more cautious about this and if you need to take an extra three or four weeks, that could extend your career by five or six years. Mm, wow. You know, so yeah. we don't have the players retiring at 20 or 21 years of age, or 25 years of age. 100%. You know, yeah. and it doesn't have to be at AFL level. You know, yeah. It's club level when, when players come in and say, you know, I can't I can't go out and run out, run out there with my mates anymore, yeah. you know, and they get quite emotional. Can't play with your mates on a weekend yeah. because there was this push from everyone to get you back on as quickly as possible. Mm. Now they can't even play. Yeah. That's such a crazy point with the, the hamstring stuff. Like, we definitely don't treat it the same. It's, no. Yeah, and no. that's it's simply because it's a it's a, a hidden injury. Can't see it. No, that's yeah. right. You know, and and uh, when you're not, I guess, playing and you're, you're sitting around, you do look quite okay. Yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> that's it. That's the thing. Yeah, hundred percent. And you can yeah. play it off, like you said. Like, it's kind of like I guess if you're drunk and people are saying, "Hey, you're drunk," you're like, "No, nah, I'm good." But internally, you kind of know that. You know, you're not that's right. right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, it's the same thing if you use the the alcohol analogy. You know, some people can be quite all right um, after quite a few drinks and not show any any impairments but someone might be having a one glass of wine and might be <laughs> at 0.02 or 0.01 yeah and they can't stand up yeah definitely it's the same same thing because yeah. the brain's affected yeah. and people people respond to that in different ways mm. you know pain's another one so some people can really tolerate a lot of pain yeah um, and others you know have a little bit of pain and they're they're completely Incapacitated. Yeah. We yeah. just don't know. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Crazy points. <laughs> and I guess now with the, the people that you work with and if they, they come in here and stuff like mm. that, what, what's the process with you if you yeah. have people who see you with concussion? Like, is it brain scans or talk me through yeah. that, how you work with yeah. players? So, so what I do is, as I said, I'm a, a physiologist, so I try and use techniques to look at the physiology of the brain. Yeah. So the technique I've used since, you know, sort of starting down this pathway in neurophysiology is a, a technique known as transcranial magnetic stimulation or TMS. Uh, when people talk about, when people hear TMS, they think it's the therapeutic version and there is a, a version of TMS which uh, people use in psychiatry. Um, it's a bit like ECT, but what I'd use is what we call a single pulse technique, which is more diagnostic in nature. So what I do is um, I use uh, electrodes to place over the muscle, which is what we call electromyography or EMG. Um, you can also use um, a cap over the head, mm. which uh, measures electrical signals of the brain, which is known as electroencephalography or EEG. So same principle, but slightly different techniques. Um, and what I do then is I stimulate the brain I, with a pulse. I get a response in the muscle wow. and that waveform comes up and it can tell me about the integrity of the central nervous system when I stimulate. So the idea is that with, say, the older guys, I've been looking at how their brain responds compared to age-matched controls who've never been concussed. Mm. Or if someone comes in after a concussion and uh, they're not sure when they should return to play, what we can do is we try and look at how the signal changes over time. So I need them to come back um, oh, you know, over a couple of, couple of you know, two or three times over three weeks yeah. um, per week to see how that, that signal changes and, and I guess returns. Because what we've seen in the research that I've done is the fact that when you are concussed, your brain becomes more inhibited. And so the processing is more inhibited, which could possibly mean that uh, we do know that you know, your risk of injury after concussion um, increases by two and a half to threefold. Wow, and that's that's a musculoskeletal injury. So, mm. the the um, so we we're trying to work out well why is that, and it may well be because the signal processing is is, is, is not as optimal as yeah. what it should be. Wow, so that could be the difference between making a, a good decision to go into yeah. a contest yeah. or not, or it could be, uh, I guess, response times to an opponent coming at you. Coming can you can you evade that that uh, opponent? You know, within f- hundred and fifty milliseconds. Yeah, wow. You know, and if you're off by thirty milliseconds with, with this technique, things. yeah, that could be the difference between you <laughs> evading the opponent and you getting cleaned up. Absolutely, wow! I didn't know how much like it would contribute to that. Like, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, that's that's you know, this is what we see, and and um, and that and that increased risk of of injury can be potentially up to 12 months after a concussion mm. too. So while we might see a, a return back to baseline in some of the, the data that I see, that doesn't guarantee, you know. So th- this is these are the things that we still got to try and work out. Yeah, wow. Yes. Yeah, full on. It's, <laughs> it's great. Like, yeah, it's, whenever I do recordings, like I love to learn about new things. Like, mm. And it's just so eye-opening to hear because, <clears> you know, I've definitely been in that stigma before even when I've played sports, it's kind of like you cop it a hit. It's like, I'm mm-hmm. all right, like I'm, I'm right to go. Um, but that's the culture. Yeah, exactly. So that's, and this is, this is the other part of the issue is that as athletes, and I guess elite athletes a little bit more than, than your club athletes, but mm. right from juniors through, you're trained basically to try and run through walls. Yeah. And now what we're saying is 
actually, no, we need you to come off and admit that you have been concussed. Yeah. And so we're trying to undo, um, I guess, culturally ingrained aspects. Yep. That someone has been trained for the last 25 years of their, from juniors right through. Where do you think it should start? Should it start in kind of schools, physical yeah, education? We, like when well, their kids are. Yeah, we do. We, we need to, and this is not popular, and you know, I've been absolutely slammed publicly anyway, but yeah. Um, <laughs> is we, ne- we do need to change our sports for kids into non contact versions to yeah. start with. So we need to uh, have non-contact AFL um, and NRL and probably even rugby union too, obviously for that matter, um, up until probably the age of fourteen. Yeah. Now is that a development thing? For yeah. The brain so it's, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, our brains don't stop developing until the mid twenties. Yeah. But I guess you know, as as a as a compromise, <laughs> if you know the the a lot of the critical development happens in that sort of childhood early adult. Early, early adolescent yeah, phase. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that, so we need to be able to protect kids. Now, I know I, you know when I have sort of talked about that, people have said, well, you know, our, our our league has no contact until eleven years of age. And yeah. in the same you know group of people, someone you know from an adjacent league goes, oh, well, we have full contact at eight. You know, <laughs> yeah. and they and they start looking at each other. So we don't have consistency so some people who might be listening go oh well we don't have any contact to such and such age well yeah we need we need a we need a, a blanket um uh age for these contact sports yeah it doesn't mean that we can't teach them the skills we mm. just don't have it in matches yeah um and they can still learn well firstly they need to learn the strategies and and the and you know the the I guess teamwork, all these other things that are really good about sport yeah. and, and contact and team sport, contact team sport. Yeah, but we can certainly try and teach them um, some of these physical skills in a controlled setting. So learn how to tackle in a controlled setting, not yeah. in a match where some kid can get bit can kid, get sling tackled. Yeah, you know, especially um, like some kids <clears throat> are so far developed, like physically yeah. more developed than that, other kids at yes. certain age levels. Oh, know? absolutely, and and you know, rugby league has been trying to get, grapple with that for. Oh, decades as well. You know, do you have age group or do you have weight grouping? Mm. You know, because you do see some kids, you know, monsters. nearly yeah, monsters at, at you know eighty kilos. I see some at kids and I'm like, was I that big when I was? That yeah, age? that's right, exactly. And it's just like, wow, you can't you can't do that. So yeah. you know, there's there's that sort of stuff. But you know, we're seeing um, you know around the world now that in the UK they're they're banning heading until mm. 12 years of age. Yeah. We know that in some countries like, I think it's, uh, maybe it's Portugal, Spain, Southern European country, I think even Brazil, you know, they play futsal until 16 years of age. Yeah. And and people go, oh, you know, if we don't teach these kids these, kids these skills, they'll never be any good. Well, you know, the, the example there with the futsal is that they're still world, they're the world's best yeah. in soccer. Yeah. But they don't do any, any sort of heading until, you know, late teens, if any, yeah. you know. So it can be done. Um, in America, there are a number of states now that have banned tackle football until a certain age, and yeah. there are, um, you know, um, Super Bowl champions who've never played contact, contact. football yeah. or tackle football yeah. until until you know sixteen years of age. Mm. Um, I think Brett Favre was was one of them. Yeah, um, he'd never played. Um, I think that's why LeBron doesn't let his boys play. Yeah. 
they went down basketball instead of that's right because exactly. of the whole that's right. concussion stuff. Um, and and even uh, world rugby now have limited contact training yeah. to fifteen minutes per week. Yeah, you know, and and uh, so it can be done. Yeah, it's just the political will of people <laughs> will to be able to to accept this and yeah. not just say, well, we've always been like this. You yeah. know, I I did an interview last week on ABC Radio and in Perth, and you know, automatically everyone piped up and said well you know this is Australian football this is the way we've always done it with Australian yeah. football nah we nah, have to change has to change yeah. yeah do you think it obviously it's gotten better do you think it will continue to evolve like do you think we'll mm. see more and more clubs mm. kind of diving into this maybe getting you know someone like yourself or more specialist <laughs> uh, concussion people in do you think like as we advance through the years and obviously modern medicine gets yeah. advanced and stuff do you think we will see more improvement in terms of longer delays of players out and stuff like that yeah I, th- I think so I mean the, you know the AFL have given themselves a bit of an out, cl- out clause on you know the 12 days by saying oh you know once we see you know, we'll change the day, the number of days based on the science. Well, the science has actually been there. Yeah. It's just whether they will or not. But at some yeah. point, there will be pressure to increase the number of days, I think. Yeah. Um, the game has changed and will continue to change. And, and when people have said to me, oh, look, you know, you're destroying the sport, I'm like, well, the sport keeps changing. You know, yeah. the, the sport of uh, AFL, you know, Australian football today... It's totally different yeah. from the 1980s. Yeah. But if you look at the 1980s, it was completely different to the 1950s. Yeah. It will cha- the, the game in 2050 will change again. It'll, yeah. It will not be what we are now. So you've just got to accept it. It will evolve. And if you want to keep thinking about it from the 1980s, well, then the sport will die because that's what's happened with other sports that haven't wanted to change. I've watched games People, from the 1980s yeah. and blokes are like haymaking each other and the umpires just cause play on. <laughs> that, that's right, exactly. Yeah. And... and and this is the, I guess this is the, the, the paradox is that you have you do have the media talking about, you know, we need more more physicality, we need more biffo. Mm, they want to let it run it. But then at the same time, they, 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 they say, oh, you know, so-and-so's now got CTE or so-and-so's got, yeah. what are we doing about this? How do we prevent them? Well, yeah. fuck me. You well, can't it's like do the, it both ways. The Paddy Cripps, like, yes. the play hit went off the game with concussion. Yep. Some people are like, he shouldn't be suspended. And then other people are like, well, he should well, be suspended. And then that, that's right. it's like, where do you draw the line? Some blokes just lost two weeks of his, yeah. you know, playing career. Well, you know, when you say to people, been... the other guy got a brain injury. Yeah. They're like, oh. Sounds bad. It's not a head knock. Yeah, exactly. You know? um, and this is part of, the, again, the, the language around this is that we've got to change the wording. You know, I hate the term head knock mm. because head knock diminishes that this is a brain, brain injury. injury. When you say when you call it a brain injury, it sounds worse. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. that's right. And yeah. you know, um, it, it's like you wouldn't put him back on if he had a torn hamstring. Hmm. So he's got a hamstring injury. That's the biggest one for me. That one. Yeah. yeah. You know, so he's got a brain injury. Yeah. You know, this is the thing, and and it doesn't matter how good a captain Patty is. You know, Patrick. Yeah. Cripps. Yeah. That's what is. I mean, yeah. Um, how good a player is or how well behaved he is to this point you know we've got to take a stand you know you either take this injury seriously mm. or you don't yeah. you know you and and um yeah even if it's careless you know we still have to take a stand Protect on this and yeah. we've got to look after you know the afl in particular can't say we prioritize athlete health and well-being <laughs> yeah. And then let someone off let for, someone for off giving that. someone an opponent a brain injury. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I'm the same. Like, I think even football act, non-football act, should be taking like stamp it out kind of yes, thing. Yes, um, that's right. Yeah, straight away. Exactly. And and you know, I know that one was probably more of a an accident style, but you know, at other times when when it's been malicious, you think, well, if that was on the street, that would have been an assault. Yeah. yeah. So why again? And then that's a whole another argument down the the sports law pathway, but. Yeah. I know that the people in sports law are trying to to grapple with why someone who why doesn't the police involve you know yeah. why is why is there this bubble around sport that you can basically assault an opponent um, and and not have a criminal yeah charge you yeah. know um, I know there was a local game uh, not oh, only only a few months ago where the guy ended up in hospital and, and now can no longer work or drive his car. Yeah, wow. And the opponent gets 10 weeks. Yeah. Yeah, it's not big enough, is it? <laughs> yeah, and, and then... And then um, I've seen appealed, lots of time. Yeah. Appealed the charge. Oh, wow. You know, meanwhile, this guy can no longer... Function. Function. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, yeah, full on. We've covered yes. some crazy stuff today. There's just a couple more things I want to show sure. you. Um, the recovery process, I'm pretty intrigued about. Obviously, we said yeah. two weeks, but... If you get someone who's comes in here, they've got you know bad concussion, they're, they're kind of struggling. It, what what do you recommend for them to do? Is it just rest or yeah, okay. kind of sleep? Or I'm just yeah, don't yeah. know sure because obviously when we've got tears and stuff, we yep. go to the physio, we get medicine, we get rub downs. <laughs> it's like there's stuff for it. But when we yeah. get to the the brain, like I'm not yep. real sure what you recommend for people to do. Yeah. Well, I guess quickly another myth is that there's no such thing as a mild or bad concussion. Oh a wow. Concussion is yeah. a concussion. Yeah. Um, because we do. We, there used to be a grading system. Yeah, and what happened was that um, someone with a quote unquote grade one mild concussion might take two months to recover, mm. and someone with a quote unquote grade three severe concussion might be back the following week. Yeah, you know, so there was no correlation between the grading and the outcome. So yeah, we just, well. you know, I, I do tell people you can't say mild concussion. Concussion is a concussion. It's a concussion. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I guess with the return to play or recovery is that, again, it's very individual. And yeah. so this is one of the reasons why we need to have better methods of what we call prognosis. So measuring and seeing how someone is recovering. And we need to move beyond um, symptom. Um, symptom, I guess, uh, looking at symptoms only um, and symptom resolution as the key for recovery because we know that symptom resolution doesn't equal brain recovery hmm. and um, what we have seen in some of the physiological research is that it might take up to 28 to 30 days to recover yeah and that's because again as i said before you know we have a whole bunch of molecules floating around we've got neurotransmitters trying to be repaired but we yeah. also have inflammation occurring in um, other cells in the brain so our brain has the neurons which is the the working cell but there are five other types of six other type of cells in the brain which are called glial cells and they help with metabolism um, immune functions um, maintaining structural integrity of the brain that sort of stuff and some of those glial cells can be inflamed and when they're inflamed they can't help the neurons from working yeah and so we can't even measure that yeah (laughs) so (laughs) it's really difficult and so what we need to do is have you know i'm hoping that in the in the recovery management process in the near future um, is blood biomarkers saliva biomarkers yeah physiological markers like i use that can then help the doctor so none of us and part of it is 
people, doctors are, are quite concerned that we're going to take their role, and nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah. What we're trying to do is to, to give the doctor more tools to, mm. um, you know, to make a better clinical assessment yeah. um, and a better clinical decision because not so much at the AFL because you know they're, they're full-time athletes, but it's more at club level. So what happens at club level is some clubs might, might have a policy to say that you've got to get a clearance from clearance. your GP yeah. to get back. And what happens is that the players go to the GP, they talk to the GP, say, Doc, I'm fine. I'm good. Yeah. And the doctor, and it's not the doctor's fault, because they're a GP, they're, they're trying to deal with, you know, so many, and they've got <laughs> yeah. a 15-minute consult to That's go, yeah. yeah, look, are you okay? Yep, I'm fine. Have you got any symptoms? No. Nah. Okay, well, I'll be able to clear you. Yeah. And so players are going back, potentially still not fully recovered, um, and... What we're trying to do, particularly like you know, what I'm doing here at Neurosports Labs, is to be able to provide a full report to say, take this to your doctor. They may or may not understand it, but at least in the recommendations, they can actually see. Okay, see, yeah, you know, Zach is not quite fully recovered yet. It probably needs another one to two weeks. Yeah. Um. And and the other thing too is that when you have a a a, a biomarker, players are, are more willing to accept that because then they don't feel like the whole cultural thing that we talked about before. Yeah. They don't feel obligated to, oh, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm not, I have to, you know, I don't want to be seen as, as weak yeah, or, or soft. Yeah, soft. Yeah. Whereas they can go, oh, look, hey, coach, um, you know, Al has said um, that my reaction times are slower, my, my brain's more inhibited, yeah. you can see the waveform, it's not the same as what it should be. Yeah. And everyone goes, oh, yeah, okay, no worries. Yeah, let's rest you for another week. Yeah. And so the, the players then don't feel like they're having to pretend that they're yeah, okay. They're okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Wow, crazy. Uh, we're talking about so much good stuff, Alan. I can't <laughs> thank you enough. I mean, like, yeah, it's 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 a topic that I think after listening to this, everyone's a little bit smarter about what's happened. Like me coming here, I thought I helmets so. were the way to go. A yeah. um, couple of weeks, everything will be fine. Like, it's <laughs> like now yeah. it's such an eye-opening experience. I know that the listeners... Everything, everyone will be a bit smarter. Like a lot of my listeners, as I said, like footy boys will listen and stuff like yeah. that. So I hope it really catches on. And yeah. Um, yeah, I hope we see more from you. I think people should go give you a follow, see the work that you're doing. Yeah. And it's the reason why I've, I've got you on today. So, mate, thank you so much for jumping on. I really appreciate the time. No problem at all. And, you know, just to f- finish off, we, this research has got a long way to go and we can't do the research without support and funding. Um, and so... If anyone is, you know, able to help with fundraising efforts for the Australian Sports Brain Bank, um, for example, or we will have the Concussion Legacy Foundation. I'll put all that in the show notes. That'll be Chuck great. Me all the links. Yeah. If you're thinking about doing people. a fundraising, yeah. Um, yeah. Look, cancer's important. Um, motor neuron disease is important, but you know, we're, we're we really need some help. Yeah. Um, and and you know. Uh, a lot of these Parkinson's motor neurons are related to concussions as well yeah. too. So if anyone is thinking about doing some help, have a think about us. Yeah, absolutely. I'll chuck it all in the show notes where people can find it and cool. all your grabs there and yeah, hopefully get some more help. No worries. Thanks awesome. for having me. No worries. Thanks.